Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Number is 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of eight, you can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right, and we'd love to hear from you this morning. That's right. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction, try to get you some free advice. There you go. And should you happen not to make the phone call today while we're still live and on the air, mm-hmm. think of something during the week. You can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. You can take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. That will get you to our site, and there is a contact bar on each and every page. You just fill out the little form and send it in. Now, I think you'll really like it when you're on there. you got all kinds of information. A lot of the calls that we get during the show and during the week, and many, many times I'll tell them, well, look, if you look at this article, this article, this article, you can find an answer to that. Correct. So not that I mind answering the question, but it's a lot easier for folks. They can just go in, do a search on the site, and you're right. going to find just about everything that you hear on the Automotive Fire and everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Put an article on this morning on belt tensioners, and this is on a serpentine belt tensioner. Although Correct. It could be a timing belt tensioner, too, I guess. But a belt tensioner is one of those things that we don't give a lot of thought to. But they do cause a tremendous, tremendous amount of problems. Well, there's a lot of things there that are moving that you don't realize. That's right. On a belt tensioner, it's basically a spring-loaded pulley that mashes against the belt and holds it tight. And I was talking to a guy on the trade show locally, engineer who actually designs these things, and he said in 100,000 miles, that tensioner probably moves 1 billion cycles. Wow. So they do wear out. And when they wear out, you may not notice it as necessarily a belt tensioner. You may notice it as noise. You may notice as your belt keeps wearing out. Prematurely? Uh, prematurely. Uh-huh. You may notice as a dead battery. Really? Because the tensioner okay. doesn't hold tight enough so the alternator slips. You may notice as your air conditioning compressor clutch burned up. Okay. So there's lots and lots of things, and this article goes in depth, how to check it, things to look for, some of the things it can cause, and just a real good article. It's agcoauto.com. Pop on there, see what you think. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines with Josh. Good morning, Josh. How's it going? Doing great, Good sir. morning. All right, I really enjoy your guys' show. I've got a 1997 Buick Park Avenue okay. 3.8 liter. Yes, sir. When I fill up at the gas station, I don't seem to be getting any back pressure, so the pump will never stop. It'll just spray out when it's full. Do you have any idea what that might be? It would have to be an opening somewhere in the system that's venting it. Are you getting a check engine light, Josh? I am not. That's peculiar because it ought to throw a check engine light for that. The only thing I can think of, the way that system actually works, there's a vent, which is a solenoid. The vent solenoid opens, and that vents the tank. And under certain circumstances, it closes, and that's how the system can actually check itself to make sure that it can hold a vacuum on the tank and all that. When you start to put fuel in the tank, air has to come out. It comes back out the neck. Now, when it gets to a certain point, what happens, the air starts to build pressure, so it pushes the gas back up the neck, and that cuts it off. Now, does this happen at every gas station, or maybe do you always go to the same station? Uh, every station, actually. Hmm. Is your check engine light working? When, yes, you, when you turn the key on, the bulb lights up. It didn't have burned out oh, or yeah. anything, huh? No, when I had issues with my exhaust. It uh, did come on. Okay. On okay. Yeah. Josh, it would have to be something in the venting system where the tank is vented when it shouldn't be or over venting. That's the only way it could do it because it works not with electronics or anything like that. It just works with physics. Tank fills, the air pushes it mm-hmm. up the nozzle, and that cuts it off. So the only way it could not do that is if it were venting air pressure out. There is a part on top of the tank, and it's called an anti-rollover valve, which could possibly do it. But again, it ought to throw a check engine light unless when it runs the vacuum test, maybe it sucks down and seals. That's just kind of a stretch. I'd really have to see that car to tell you. It's got to be something is venting more than it should be. 
Do you have any gas smell around the car? Occasionally. Odors? In the summer when it's warm. Yeah. Okay. That could be part of what's going on with it. i tell you how you could find that is you find someone who can do a smoke test on the car. And a smoke mm-hmm. test is where we go in and attach a machine that works with nitrogen, and it actually pressurizes the fuel system with nitrogen gas and smoke. And wherever it's leaking or wherever it's vented, the smoke's going to come out. And see, this is going to be a situation that when it's running, it's not doing it, and when it's off, it is doing it. So they have to do it, obviously, with the car not running. And they may have to actually remove the fuel tank to check the top of it because it's right. pushed up against the bottom of the car and you can't really see the smoke coming out. Mm-hmm. We had one the other yeah. day. We actually had to pull the tank out, fill it full of smoke, and then you could see where it was leaking out. Right. The only other thing that occurs to me, Josh, and I don't know why I didn't think about this sooner, but the charcoal canister is actually the inlet for the vent of the tank. It's a bunch of charcoal in there, which provides a certain amount of restriction to airflow. Now, if that charcoal canister were gutted out or it were disconnected or the line were broken, it could actually be venting more than it should, and it would not set a check engine light because that's on the opposite side of the vent solenoid. In other words, when it goes to run the vent test, the solenoid is closed so it doesn't suck through the charcoal canister. To check that, what you'd have to do is get a known good charcoal canister and you weigh it. You weigh the old one, you weigh the new one. If it weighs a lot less and some of the guts have come out of it, charcoal may have blown out, it may have dried up, it may have just gone bad. Or also inspect all the lines going to it. Again, a smoke test would tell you that. But that's the only other thing that occurs to me. I know if they plug up, the gas will keep cutting off. So this is sort of the opposite. If it's blown out, it may just allow it. It would also account for the gas fumes sometimes, especially in the summer when the gas is hot and it's more volatile and it's evaporating more. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Josh, where are you calling from? Detroit, Michigan. Oh, wow. (laughs) Great. A little cool up there? Oh, yeah. We were getting plenty of snow. Yeah, we had what we call a cold snap last week. It went down in the teens. But it's a 70 degrees down here today. Oh, I wish I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling, Josh. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, why don't you give us a call? We sure would love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines with Brian. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I'm good. How are you guys this morning? Doing great, we're Doing sir. great. Now that we got rid of all the ice. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. I got an August of 2000 Dodge Ram 1500 with a 3.9 liter V6. Okay. About six months ago, I'd get in it going home from work, and it started, and it died. Started and died, started and died, and then it'd warm up, and everything was fine. But about halfway home, it just stood at a red light, it died. Mm-hmm. Started right back up, and everything's fine. So this went on for about three days, mm-hmm. and after listening to some mechanical-type buddies of mine, they say, hey, your fuel pump's bad. Yeah. Change the fuel pump, okay? Yeah. So after a $400 fuel pump, yeah, I've still got the same problem. Yeah, fuel pump can't possibly cause that, Brian, because at idle is your absolute lowest amount of fuel requirement. A fuel pump's right. going to cause it to cut out on the load right. because it can't keep up with load, but it's not going to show up at an idle, so that was kind of a waste. Now I got, yeah, really. About Most it. likely, Brian, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be something in the idle circuit, and those use different methods of idling. Some have a idle servo, which is a separate part. Now, a number of things can cause that. One could be something like a throttle position sensor. If the throttle position sensor loses its signal, it doesn't know where the throttle blade is, so it can start dying at idle. What you could try is if you hold your foot lightly on the gas, will it keep running? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not the truck is dying. It's just failing to idle. Okay, because yeah, was, well, if, that's it, true. if it were dying, you could hold your foot on the gas, it would still die. Right. Okay. So it's just a failure to idle. The second thing would be it could have a vacuum leak of some sort in it because what will happen with a vacuum leak is the engine will lean out a lot at idle because it's got the least amount of air going into it at an idle. So right. the vacuum leaks a larger percentage. 
Now, when the engine starts to warm up, when it hits about 180 degrees, the O2 sensors are going to come online, and they're going to say, hey, we're too lean. So they just increase the pulse width on the injectors, and they cover it up. So something like a leaking intake could do that, leaking PCV valve, a stuck open PCV valve, any of those sorts of things could cause that. That should be relatively easy to find. That vehicle shouldn't have drive-by-wire, so there should be a cable going to the throttle body. If this thing does, I can reach in there and... And operate the throttle. Okay, okay. So it's okay. got well, a cable. It's got a cable. It's going to have an idle control servo, and that can do the same exact thing. Right. It's just a little motor, a little stepper motor, and the computer tells to idle the engine up, and that's what makes it idle. When they get old, they can start binding up at times, and it may be right. under certain conditions. It may only be when it's cold. It may only be when it's hot. It just depends on what is wrong with that one. But right. if it sticks, it's not going to idle the engine up, so it's going to die. That's just a little round thing on the back side of the throttle body with a couple of wires going into it. Did you have battery go bad on you about that same time? No, actually, I haven't had any battery problems okay. until the cold weather hit, and I had a problem getting started one morning, but it, it finally started. Yeah. Okay. What the re- reason I'm going there is because if the battery goes dead, it loses idle position. Mm-hmm. And when you put a new battery in it, wherever that throttle plate is sitting, it learns idle right there. Right. Oh, Lord. And once it starts doing its thing especially when it's, it's cold yeah it's confused and it, it won't idle right and okay. even a weak battery can do the same thing Correct. because see it only takes about 10 volts to crank your car it'll crank just fine but it takes 12 volts to run that computer so let's say you're cranking and voltage is dropping down 10 volts it's resetting the computer well it loses idle function it doesn't know where to idle it loses sight of the throttle position sensor another thing would be if the throttle blade in the throttle body were dirty carboned up it may not be able to find that position because it's not closing fully so right. a number of things, I would, yeah, I would probably start out, I'd look for a vacuum leak. If you don't see a vacuum leak, I would probably clean the throttle body and put a new battery in it and okay. see. That may clear it up. Make sure your connections are good and clean and tight. Yeah, any one of those could definitely clear that up. And if none of that does it, then more likely into a bad idle servo. And that's not a real expensive part. I want to say it's less than 100 bucks, and it's not right. hard to change. Uh, well, that was a lot easier than a fuel pump. <laughs> yeah, that was the second for Well, I pulled the bed off to do the fuel pump. Wow. Uh, wow. I used to work on cars back in the 70s. Yeah, well, a lot different now. Everything you ever do. A lot different now. Yeah, these parts that you're talking about, I mean, PCV valve, I can just, you know, that's simple enough. Right, things, right. Model control things. I mean, is that like a mechanic? I got to take that to a mechanic or something, huh? Well, it probably cheaper. Well, like you, It'd be cheaper to bring it to me and let me tell you what's wrong with it than to sit down and throw parts at it because one or two parts could cost way more than I'm going to charge you to check it. But even if you want to fix it yourself, you you can bring it to me, I can tell you what's wrong, and you take it home and fix it yourself, you won't. Right now, you're out 400 bucks. Yeah. Exactly. That you didn't need to spend. You got a fuel pump. That's right. But Dodge fuel pumps don't go out too much, so... You might well, take the other one and put it on the shelf. Yeah. I got online, and I, that's what I read. They said, you know, the fuel pumps rarely go out. They don't. They don't. No. Not if hard it was a Chevrolet, I'd say, hey, you, yeah. you didn't do any harm because the fuel pumps go out all the time anyway. But Dodge, yeah. we don't put many fuel pumps on them. And another thing they said is probably not, they don't have any kind of inline filter system on this thing. Well, the, the filter is part of the pump. Right, Which right. is actually a pretty good setup because it's filtering the gas before it's going into the pump now. So it keeps the trash out of the pump. That's one reason right. it lasts longer. So, But right. the only thing is you got to pull the tank out. Pull a pump out to change the fuel yeah. filter yeah. if it's available. Yeah, a lot of them don't sell a filter. You got to buy. A you got to buy the whole assembly. So mm-hmm. right, but you got to pull the pump out anyway to get to it. Right. So, all right. Well, look, right. I appreciate you guys. Okay. Time. You may be seeing me in the next couple of days. Okay. All right. Sir. Just let me know, man. All right. Y'all be good. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. So if you'd like to be part of the automotive iron skills, call us 291-6901. We got all our lines wide open. We'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, it's funny if you just don't know. Uh huh. Change the valve stem cap. 
Yeah. It you ain't going to fix it, but it only costs a couple pennies. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you just want to change got, something, it's not going to fix the problem. Yeah, you got just as good a chance. Yeah, fix something really, really cheap. You'll get one of those little, little Christmas, Christmas trees. Tree, yeah. yeah, at least the car smell good. It still won't be fixed. but Yeah, it won't go nowhere, but at least it smell good. Yeah. Guessing at things like that, it's pretty problematic, and normally you're not. You're gonna run out of money way before you run out of guesses. And when you start talking about guessing at three and four hundred dollar items, oh yeah, it was way way cheaper to pay someone to tell you what's wrong. Well, for under a hundred dollars, you can get it diagnosed. Oh, absolutely. And what I would think is that if it were, let's say, I am guessing it's maybe a PCV valve. Okay. Okay. Well, that's six bucks. Takes yeah. about ten minutes to change it. Anybody can change it. Yeah, no big deal. Right. You put it on. It probably needed one anyway. Right. So you really not out anything. So those kind of guesses make some sense. Let's say you got a hundred thousand miles. The spark plugs are pretty worn on it. You decide, well, I'll put a set of spark plugs and see what happens. Sure. You're really not out a lot because it, it needed it anyway. Kind of needed spark plugs anyway. Right. But when you start guessing things like fuel pumps, man, it's just way, way cheaper to go in and have a. I mean, you can well, do a fuel pressure test and you can isolate that real sure. easy. A fifteen minute 15, test, twenty minutes, yeah, I could tell and, you for sure right. if you needed it or you don't need it. And, and luckily, on a pickup truck, you could take the bed off. That's right. But hey, we gotta take our quick little break. Carlton, Randy, hang on, you guys will be straight up after this break. Take the highway. That's the best. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, Bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Number's 291-6901, and we'll be glad to try to put you up on the top of the list and get your calls answered. We got Carlton online. Good morning, Carlton. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have an 06 Chevrolet Malibu, Okay. and I have intermittent headlights when it's on automatic. I'll have them. They'll go off. Mm-hmm. Later on, they'll come back on, back and forth. Okay. I'm an independent shop locally that does my basic work. Mm-hmm. Well, he said it was a sensor or either the well, the switch, and he changed the switch, but it didn't solve Yeah, the I wouldn't mm-hmm. think that would solve that, Carlton. I think there's a part in there called a low-beam headlight relay. Uh, do they still work on high-beam when they go it out? Will work on, no. The high-beams, that's the way I can tell when it goes off. Mm-hmm. I will crank it up into my carport, mm-hmm. and I'll have high and low-beams on automatic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't get up to the streets before they go off, and I leave the high beam on so I can see that on the dash. I can tell when it go out, mm-hmm. and it won't. It will go away. Yeah, if you don't have high beam or low beam, then it's not going to be that relay because that'll only affect the low beam. If you're losing both, I would suspect there's a part on the dash called a headlight sensor, an ambient light sensor. Right, sitting up it, on the dash. It uh-huh. could possibly be that. No, you don't have to pull a dash. It's right there in the top. You take the top cover off, and I think it's right there. But 
that could be the cause as well because if it thinks it's bright sunlight outside, it may turn the headlights off. Now, can you manually turn the headlights on? Yeah, I can turn them on manually. Now, okay, and, and the, even manually. when they're off, they'll come on manually? Yeah. Okay, okay. well, that, it's almost yeah. got to be that. The only other possibility would be something in the body control module, but that's real, real rare for that to give a problem. I would suspect probably that t- ambient t- light sensor. Okay, now the strange thing is they may have been off for quite a while. And mm-hmm. when I turn in my driveway, which is under a canopy of live oaks, which yes, is sir. in mm-hmm. the shade, mm-hmm. and before I get to my carport, they'll pop back on. Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like the ambient light sensor is probably just too sensitive. And even though it's darkish outside, it's not dark enough to turn it on. And when you get under a little bit darker thing, i tell you what you could do to try it is next time they go off, get something like a pillar that you could put up on the dash to cover that sensor and see if they come on. They'll just completely block the light off. Okay. See, it's probably not completely bad. It's just set. It's too sensitive. Okay. So that we, when it's starting to get dark, it just thinks it's still light. See, that sensor is an input to the body control module. The body control module grounds either the high beam relay or the low beam relay, depending on which one it is, and that turns the headlights on. So it couldn't be both of those bad, very likely, and it's not too likely the body control module is bad. So that's just about the only other choice. Okay. Thank All right. You so much. Okay, Carl. All right. Thanks, man. If you've got an automotive question or comment, why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we're going back to the line with Randy. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. I've got a 06 Dodge Caravan. I change all regularly between three and 4,000 miles. Okay. I was on a trip, and I went over about 1,500 miles. Let me back up. Normally, it'll use about a half a quart uh-huh. during that Three to four thousand miles. Yes, sir. On that trip, it went over fifteen hundred miles, and it burned two and a half quarts of oil. Yes, sir. What would cause it to just all of a sudden burn like that? Well, you went fifteen hundred over your normal change interval, right? Yeah. As all gets old and starts to the viscosity starts to shear on it, it's going to burn more. Also, when you're on a trip, you're generally operating at a higher speed, and you're probably at like sixty and seventy miles an hour for hours on end as opposed right. to putting around town, under either one of those conditions, it's going to use more oil. Okay. So, so that, that would pretty much be normal for the situation. I mean, I would probably go back to changing it like you're doing. The only thing you can do when you've got an oil consumption problem like that is to do a compression test, and that will tell you if it's the rings or if it's the valve guides or what's causing the oil consumption. Something like valve guide seals, if it really, really bothers you, can be changed without taking the engine out the car. Something like piston rings, it's just the fix is worse than the problem. You have yeah. to overhaul the engine to fix it. The best thing to try to alleviate that problem is to continue using the same oil you're using. Don't go with a thicker oil. Don't do any of that. Don't change viscosity and just change more often. Because new oil is not going to be as thin as the older oil is. It hadn't gone through viscosity this year. And the new oil has detergents, which may clean up a set of stuck rings. So what most people do when their car starts burning oil, they try to put a thicker oil in it, and that makes it worse. That's going to basically throw more oil up on the cylinder wall, so it makes it harder to control. That car costs a 5W30. Just go with your 5W30. Keep changing at your 3,000-mile intervals. With the brand you've been using. Yeah, don't swap brands. That can right. make it no, worse I, as well. I go to the same place. Mm-hmm. They change okay. it. They use the 5W30. Good. The half quart, that didn't bother me. Right. For that three to 4,000, it right. just... Well, that's nothing. Yeah, Yeah, that's nothing. A lot of engines will burn some oil. But even that difference, with all oil and the combination of operating at high speed for hours on end, if I put my car on the highway at 70 miles an hour and drive for five hours, it's going to burn more oil than if I put around town with it at 30, 40 miles an hour. Okay. All righty. Thank you, Jim. Okay, Randy. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. 
that's one of those things when operating conditions change a lot of times other things change you don't normally drive 70 miles an hour for four or five hours at a time and when you do that it may consume a little more oil that is kind of normal you don't want to burn any oil at all but that can explain change. Really no need for action right away. Now you keep watching it and the higher level of oil consumption continues, then you got a problem. But at this point, I just continue to watch it and go back to driving like you did before and the consumption may go back exactly like it was before. Hey, 291-6901, if you want to be part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. And going back to our phone lines, Frank, good morning, Frank. Good morning, guys. I have a 2005 GMC Canyon with uh -huh. the i5 engine. Got okay. 274,000 miles. Okay. Done, done burning your oil, no problems. The other day, just at idle, the oil light came on. With a slight rev of the engine, whether I'm in park or I just have it in neutral or, or drive foot on the brake, mm -hmm. slight rev of the motor. Light goes out. Light goes out. Right. Yeah. It's never happened before, and it just runs like a top. But I'm just yeah. wondering, what direction do I go? All pressure on this truck is kind of weird the way it works. It's class two serial data. It's not actual reading in the all pressure sensor is reading the pressure, then it's sending a signal to the computer, which is actually interpreting what the all pressure is, and it's kind of an averaged out thing. Now, if you lose class two serial data for some reason or if there's an interruption of it, it can read zero even though it's not. Also, if the sensor itself drops out, of course, it's going to read zero. It's just a real, real complex system. I've seen them malfunction a lot. And sometimes the oil pressure sender unit can cause that. It can be that the engine is actually going to zero oil pressure. You'd have to take the sender unit out, and you'd have to measure the oil pressure. If it's got good oil pressure, you can try changing the sender unit. But I've seen that a lot of times on that engine. Because yeah. it doesn't a, always happen. It doesn't yeah, happen all the time. It averages something out, and under certain conditions it does something. And, I mean, it's just a really, really, really complex setup that malfunctions a lot. That's pretty common. What I would do, Frank, is to get the oil pressure manually verified. In other words, just take the oil pressure sender, you're not screw a gauge in it. If you got good oil pressure, then I would change that sending unit and go on with it. You're going to have the sending unit out anyway. Yeah, and there are certain things that can make those engines lose oil pressure also. That is one of the biggest problems they have with that engine is losing oil pressure. The oil pump can go out of the bypass, can stick on them, particularly at that high a mileage. But that's a major, major job to fix. At least 10 hours, the whole front of the motor's got to come apart to get to it. Now, if that's the case, you're going to know pretty soon. Right. Right, well. <laughs> well kind of like yeah. when you lose blood pressure. It ain't going to take you long to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, like I said, I'm sitting right here in neutral right here, mm -hmm. and at the light, and light's not on. Yeah, it may not. It, 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 several times it can go down that. to like three pounds of oil pressure, and the light won't come on. Right. So it could okay. could have been low for a long period of time and finally stepped over the threshold, or it could be the sending unit going bad. But again, without a manual test, you're not going to know. So you have yeah, to get well, that. Yeah, well, I'm going to pray that it's a bad sending unit. Well, that's another way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> just be ready for an engine. Yeah. <laughs> All oh, right. yeah. Okay, man. All right, Frank. Bye-bye. Right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break. Joey, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Good morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low price oil changes. 
take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go. With the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep punching with the victory crew. When hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. We'd be glad to try to help you out and get you some automotive advice. And we've got Joey's been patiently holding. Good morning, Joey. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Thank y'all for taking my call. Yes, sir. And I certainly, when folks at work are discussing automotive problems they can't figure out, I try to send them your way okay. because I've got... We appreciate most it. respect for y'all, but quick quick question here, and it's all uh, two questions related to coolant. Sure, I'm in the beginning stages of restoring a '68 Mustang. Okay, and it's going to when I finally finish, and this may be a few years. I'm not in a hurry. Mm-hmm. When I do finish, where it's not going to be a daily driver. This will be something I drive once a week, sort of thing. And I've seen advertise. Well, I've even seen Jay Leno plug it too. Is the waterless coolant? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, what's your opinion, what's your take on those waterless coolants? They seem to work okay. Joey, they're kind of expensive, and really and truly, just regular coolant works great. So I don't really see a purpose for them. I really don't see a big enough advantage relative to the cost. What I would do if it were my car and what I do in my cars is I use a regular coolant with distilled water mix and I change it every two years. Mix it 50-50. 50-50, two-year right. change. You're never going to have any cooling system problems. Beyond that, I mean, if you want to use it, it's okay. It's just kind of like a lot of other things. It's a technology that's kind of expensive, and they claim all kinds of advantages to it. I really don't see any advantage over standard coolant mixed with distilled water properly. Okay, yeah, I've always used distilled water when Mm -hmm. I mix mine, so I don't change it probably as frequent as I should, but I stick with distilled water to mix it myself and add, so... Okay, because I've also got a couple ATVs that we don't ride that often, and I was wondering if, yeah, it is a little bit pricey. But yeah, yeah, I just don't see a big advantage to it. When new things come along, some of them are really great, and some of them are just new just because they're new because somebody thought it up. But to me, it's got to be cost-effective. It's got to either save me some money or save me some wear and tear relative to the money. It's got to pay its own way. I'm not a government agency. I can't go with the subsidized stuff. I know you're <laughs> if it doesn't save me money or make me money, I'm just I'm not too big on it. Okay. Hey, I, I tell you what, if you need a little advice on that restoration, send Lewis an email and he'll give you my number and I'll help okay. you out on it. I just got done with one. Oh, cool. All right. So if well, you need I a little technical you. advice or anything, just give me a call. Yep. Well, this one been the, I'll put it this way. The last inspection sticker was 1983. Wow. <laughs> and uh, it hasn't had any coolant in it for 20 years. Yeah, right. I that out, but uh, it was a one-owner car. So that's great. This is, yeah, this will be a special project my son and I are working on. Well, but, yeah, uh, that's even it, better. This will be a long-term, no-hurry deal. And, right. Well, that's but, the only uh, way it's any fun. I can that's tell That's it. <laughs> Work yeah, on it when you want to. Yep. It'll be a lot easier than working on any of my newer cars. <laughs> that's, that's a fact. That's for a fact. All right. Thanks. All right, All right sir. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. 291-6901. Get you right straight to us. And we're going back to the phone lines with Keith. Good morning, Keith. Hey, good morning. How y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. Yeah, I tell you what, I look forward every Saturday morning to listen to your show. I'm a retired uh, county for 35 years. Well, thank you. And I tell you what, I got the one that's really uh, kicking me hard. I got a, a 2004 Chevy Silverado pickup. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, the engine light came on. It had 100,000 miles. The engine light went on. They put a little thing on it. They saw oh, it's probably got vapor in the tank, gas cap. Okay, mm-hmm. I changed the gas cap. Mm-hmm. About 50 miles, light came on again. Right. right. And now I can't put gas in it. With the gas pump, 
Mm-hmm. Keeps kicking off. off. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you what that is, Keith. There's a part of there called a vent solenoid, and they okay. are absolutely notorious for going out. Now, when you get that vent solenoid, go back to the Chevrolet dealer and buy one, and they're going to sell you a little kit. And what it's going to have is a vent solenoid. It's going to have a little separate filter that your original one didn't have. And you oh. put a piece of heater hose on there, and you relocate that vent. Because what happens is that that vent solenoid, when it goes to the, the vent stage, it starts drawing air in, and it can oh. suck dirt and stuff up in it, and it plugs it up. Yeah, when you take the old one out, if you take it apart and turn it over and knock it out, you'll see all that dirt it's pulled right. in. Right, and the solenoid what? goes bad. Where's it located at? Depends on what size tank is in it and what model truck you have as far as extra cab, crew cab. Yeah, right around the It's gas around tank. the gas tank, either mm-hmm. the front or the back. You'll okay. notice it. You'll see it. You better see it. Okay, I got, I got it on the right side now. On behind the gas tank, I got around mm-hmm. the device with uh, two wires. Yes, sir, that's it. In. Is that it? Yes, sir. Now, there's also another little component up on the engine called a purge solenoid. Those okay. two work together. The purge solenoid is real cheap and it's real easy to change. I usually okay. change them both because you change the vent solenoid and three months later the purge solenoid goes out and light pops oh. back on. So that little purge solenoid, I want to say it's about $28, $30 from, from a Chevrolet dealer, and it's easy to change. It's up on the motor. Right. But the purge sucks the fumes out. The vent seals the tank off. Right. And if it okay. seals the tank off when it shouldn't, then it's not going to be able to breathe, so the gas is going to keep coming back up the nozzle on you. Okay. The, okay. Only, other, the only other thing that causes that is a part in there called a charcoal canister. Uh-huh. And occasionally those will go bad, not nearly as often, but occasionally. The way you have to test that is you have to take it off and weigh it. You can weigh a new one, and you can weigh that one, it'll be a lot heavier because it'll be all full okay. of gas, and if right. that's the case. But you right. could, I tell you, to test that, you could try just unplugging charcoal counters, just take the hose right. off of it and go see if you can fill it up with gas. And if you oh. can, then the charcoal counters is bad. It'll throw a check engine light if you do it, but you can leave, if it can fill it up with gas with that unplugged, then the charcoal counters is a problem. If you can, it's going to be the vent solenoid. I got you. Okay. okay, I really appreciate it. Thank All you right, all Keith. so much. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We're going back to the phone lines with Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. 07 Sierra Classic. It's got a work bed. You know, one of them with the boxes on it. Okay. I use it to pull my camper and mm-hmm. go out on jobs. 240,000 miles on it, and it's starting to, like, in the mornings, when I crank it, it don't burn no oil, but in the mornings, get the oil pressure. You can't let it sit there and idle. The oil pressure dropped so low. But after it warms up, it's okay. Does the engine sound like it's losing oil pressure, Richard? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's losing oil. Uh, when it yeah. gets down, I, I heard it one morning. So, man, I ripped it up a little bit. Yeah, you know? the bearings are probably worn in it. it. It's just losing oil pressure. The fix is going to be a rebuilt engine or another engine, whether you put a used engine or a rebuilt engine or whatever. But those engines do tend to lose all pressure at some point in time. There is a little filter screen in the inlet, I think, of the oil pump, but that doesn't solve the problem too often. Occasionally, there's a little check valve in the oil pump that can stick. But again, that's not too often the problem, and it's a pretty big deal to change. So with that kind of miles on, I would probably just watch it maybe give it a little gas when it happens to pick the oil pressure back up and see how far it'll go. I mean, the eventual fix, I think, is going to be to replace the engine or get rid of the truck. Now, whether you go with a used engine or a new engine, mm-hmm. the used engine would be a little cheaper on you. A lot cheaper, yeah. And we seem to have pretty good luck putting used engines well, in. There's, like, there's, there's hundreds of thousands yeah, of them out there. Yeah, there's millions of those engines out, and you can buy one with, say, 80,000, 90,000 miles at a fairly reasonable price and start all over. I mean, you figured that one got as many miles as it did. You get right. one with 80, even 100,000, you ought to be back for several more years of use. Well, I was going to drop the pan and 
put it while I changed the pump while I had it off the Well, guess what? All there. pump ain't in the pan. <laughs> I think. Oh, it ain't. No. Under the timing cover. Yeah. And to get to well, the pan. I'm 69 years yeah. old. Yeah. Right? You don't want to be fooled yeah, with it. I was going to say. <laughs> I think you can get the pan off on that one with the engine still yeah, in the truck. Yeah, pan come off pretty right. easy, but you can't but get the, the pump's in the front. Right. Well, my 57 Chevrolet, I could yep. set a, uh, I could overhaul it on the yep. weekend. I know it. Guess what? <laughs> Not no more. <laughs> Not no more. This, this be uh, 2014. Well, all right. Thanks a lot. All right. All right, right thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Richard on the line. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. My daughter's got a 2008 Chevy Malibu uh-huh. V6 automatic, uh-huh. and she's got a leak in the radiator. Mm-hmm. It's just mixing the transmission fluid, so they're getting transmission fluid and antifreeze into the transmission. Yeah, that's real, real bad, Richard. That's right. going to take transmission out in no time at all. Because if, yeah. if the damage hasn't been done already. If it hadn't already done it, yeah, because when the engine is running, you got more transmission pressure than you've got coolant pressure, so it blows fluid into the coolant, but when you turn it off... Now you got more coolant pressure and transmission pressure. So the coolant's going to go back into the transmission, and if that happens, it's wiped out. It's done. There's right. No, all those clutches have a water-based glue on Right. There's no, when okay. that, there's no flushing it out right. or getting it out. It's going to be a transmission at that point. I know Nissan has got a tremendous problem with that, like on their Frontiers, man. They take transmissions out right and left. But if you want to try to change the radiator and change the fluid and filter on transmission and hope for the best, you could do that. You might get lucky, but most of the time, if coolant has really gotten into the transmission, it's pretty much done. Right. Seems to be running pretty good. Yeah. Right. Well, now, sometimes the fluid will go into the coolant, and the coolant won't go back the other way if you're lucky. But most of the time it goes both ways. So right. Yeah. And you I may not see it right off the bat. Yeah, I wouldn't tarry, man. I'd get that done right away. Okay. He's got it in the, get it in the shop now. One of them was saying that they have to do the transmission, but it well, might be worth the chance of. Part of a risk. I mean, what's you going to lose? It goes out anyway. Sooner or later, anyway, right? Yeah, well, it's right. gonna go out anyway. But I mean, you might as well try it. It's yeah. kind of like when we get people come in a lot of times, and their air conditioner's empty, and they don't know how long it's been since they had it charged before. Well, I got to charge it to check it. Hey, why not see how long it lasts? It may last yeah. two years. That's a lot cheaper than pulling a dash out and changing an evaporator core. So. If the downside is not, I mean, you tell me, hey, I drive this car all the way across the country every day. Well, that's different. You can't really take a risk because you don't want to be broke down. But it's mostly right. in town use. Transmission goes out. Worst case, you tow it to the shop and get transmission rebuilt. And well, just why not try it? Because you may get lucky. Yeah, and just let your daughter know, hey, do not go yeah, anywhere. You don't have to if go. If it starts throwing stay, a check engine right. light, or if it start slipping, or if it starts doing, you know, shifting hard. Stay well, now, in the safer part of town. Yeah, now you we, know. Now we know. With flushing it, draining the oil. Yeah, the damage is done already. As soon as it gets in, it's done. I mean, you could change the fluid and filter. will help it. It'll help any transmission, but it's not going to undo the damage. Yeah, yeah. So if it's still work, if you change it once and it still runs okay, then you're... Yeah, I'd try to. What I do, I would get a professional to drop that pan and look yeah. inside because if he drops a pan and there's a handful of clutch material in the pan, well, you well, know, you know. You know yeah. right there. But yeah. if the pan's pretty clean and you don't really see a lot of coolant, you'll be able to see the coolant in the fluid. If not, you can test the fluid for coolant. And if there's no coolant in the fluid, hey, you're home free. If there's some in and you want to risk it, then worst case, you're going to have to build a transmission anyway. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Super duper. Thank you much. All right, All man, right Thanks, Colin. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 291-6901. We'll get you right straight to us. we still got several minutes, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We're going to go ahead and take our last little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just 
happened to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, is right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. It's 291-6901, and you put a 225 in front of there. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right, and we and sure appreciate it. if you happen to use the rest of the... Numbers that go in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere in the world. That's a fact. And lots of folks do contact me by email from all over the world. Yeah, it's much easier to go email than it is try to make a phone call and be in at a certain time in a different area of the world. Well, that's right. We got Jack from Nairobi has a Ford Ranger that won't crank. Yeah, Nairobi, Kenya. How about that? That's something. They got Ford Rangers down there? They must have. He sure got one. <laughs> yeah, said he, that it won't crank, but if you push start it, it'll mm-hmm. crank right up and right. run. So we're thinking something in the power system going to the starter. Could be a bad solenoid on the starter wire. It could right. be a bad ground somewhere. There's well, and he's probably got a standard transmission if he's able to push start it. Correct. So he needs to check that clutch safety switch. There's a switch that if you push the clutch, it allows the car to crank. And if you don't push the clutch, it doesn't. Which keeps but, you from starting it in gear. That's right. But when the clutch switch malfunctions, then it won't crank at all. Even right. though you've got the clutch depressed. Right. It breaks the connection to the starter, so the starter won't and turn. And those are a little bit problematic. So that was what I'd advise him check that. And also, if of course, if it was an automatic, he wouldn't be able to push start it but if it was right. automatic it could be a neutral safety switch it would be very similar to the same thing. correct little email from nairobi how about well, that let's go to our phone lines we've got paul online good morning paul how are you today doing great sir good morning i have a 2010 f-150 and it's right at seventy thousand miles okay. my book says at 35 and then at 75 you're supposed to flush that transmission yeah not flush you just service it Service. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Yeah, watch the word flush, Paul, because that's a marketing term. And if you go somewhere where they flush oh. it, they're not doing you any good at all. Well, a service is where you're going to drop the pan, you're going to replace the fluid, replace the filter, retark the valve body bolts, adjust the, the outside gasket. linkage, adjust, change the gasket, and then put it back together with the right fluid. And right fluid is critical because Ford's got about six different fluids they use. But yeah, they're having some trouble with those transmissions, so that's why they're recommending such a low change interval on them. Oh, I was wondering, that's my question, if it really needed to be Absolutely. done. Absolutely. Yes. Transmission is about four grand. No. And a proper service is under 200 bucks. so okay, which so one you want to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if you do it, it doesn't just mess up with the warranty, right? Anybody can no, do it. No, anybody can do it, yeah, as long as it's done. All right. Done then. properly. We'll see you this week, then. Okay, sounds great, man. Thanks. Thanks, All right, sir. Bye-bye. 291-6901. We'll get you right straight to us. We're going back to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Hello, how are you? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Good, good. I recently purchased a used Toyota Sienna, like a minivan, but it's mm-hmm. uh, yes, little, right. Uh, it. I can tell just by the way it looks that it was very well maintained, and mm-hmm. it's just to give a little plug to Toyota. It's got a six-cylinder engine, mm-hmm. 
and it, it's the best engine I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good little vehicles. Um, yeah, the issue I have is that when I called to have it insured, the, the guy was a Toyota tech, happened to be, mm-hmm. and he said, just don't let the timing change. Timing so, belt, yes, sir. It's got a belt. So, mm-hmm. so I, it's a belt, okay. Yes, uh-huh. And I don't know if there's a way to check that. There is there's not. It's already been replaced. No, Mike, when we change a timing belt, we put a sticker on the timing cover with which, the date and the miles. Which everyone should, but it but doesn't have A lot okay. of people don't. So right. you can look and see if there's a sticker on the timing cover, then clearly it's been done. But a lot of people don't do that. And if it hasn't been done, there is no way to know because it's inside the motor. You can't see it. And even if you could take time and car off and look at it. You can't really look at it. If it, it were changed two years ago, you wouldn't know. I mean, it's going to look exactly. There's no, so there's no diagnostic. No, no. sir. Yes. If you don't know that it's been changed and you have no way to find out if it's been changed, right. then I would change it just on a default because uh, if you yeah, don't. Yeah, I believe I'm going to. If it breaks, um, it's going to take the engine out. Right. Yeah. No, I, I want to. This car has 181,000 mm-hmm. miles on it. Well, it, it would be due for the second one. And it's still. It should be on the second one, but right. I'm yeah. gonna, I believe I'm going to go ahead and do that. You're not going to hurt yourself yeah. any by changing it because if it yeah. just part of the car is just a maintenance item. Timing chains are good. They don't have to be changed often, but they're much more critical to lubrication. That's why the timing chain engines usually take synthetic oil. Timing belts are much more durable, although they have to be changed on a routine basis. Okay, and is that a major expense? It, it depends, is, yeah, that high of mileage is going to be because if you're in there, Mike, particularly on a Sienna, you're going to want to change the water pump. You're going to change the camshaft seals, the crankshaft seal, the tensioner, the idler roller, the outside belts, because all that has to come off to do the job anyway. So you you don't want to yeah. be penny-wise and dollar-foolish. You can go ahead and just put a belt on it, but then six months later, the water pump right. goes out. Well, you're doing the whole job over. And right. six months later, the right. cam seal goes out. You're doing the whole job over. All the labor is yeah. getting down to the belt. Yeah, you'll be up close okay. to $1,000 if you do everything on it, but that's with all yeah. Toyota parts and changing everything. And that way you're good right. for another yeah. seven years. I have or, done at the dealership, so I'll make sure if they put the right part. I, I want to try to put a million miles on this. Yes, sir. Motor. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the okay, Mike. Uh, input. Thank you a lot. Okay, man. Thank all you. All right. Bye-bye. So. Two nine one sixty nine zero one. We'll get you right straight to us, and we're going back to the phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis, this is Joe. Hey, man. Got the guy with the charge. Yes, sir. Couple questions. You bet. Okay. When I run this thing, when I first started, it runs about seventy five pounds off pressure, and once it's warm, it runs about sixty. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, fine. that's fine. Yeah, if all it gets hot, it's going to thin out. Mm-hmm. That's actually a little bit high, Joe, but it's probably got a high volume oil pump on it. A stock car is going to run probably around forty when it's cold, and thirty five when it's hot but again that engine's pretty highly modified they probably put a high volume pump yeah but yeah that's not gonna hurt it the only thing higher oil pressure would do in that particular vehicle it could burn a little bit all mm-hmm. but that's not gonna be a concern no more than what you drive the car right it's just not gonna- i'm getting ready to change it all i'm thinking about putting that wall pump but what do you think about that all it's good stuff have you ever changed before is this first change yep yeah you can go with that joe me personally i like the mobile one better only because mm-hmm. it's much more available every walmart you, in, right. in the united states when you has go with one. like your royal purples and your amzols they're great products they don't are get me wrong they're good all but you got to order them from somewhere and you got to get them and if you need some you don't have it i like the mobile one because it's also equally good and it's much much more readily available well that's yeah, well, if you can get it on right. a regular basis, get, it's just if you need it and right. you're somewhere where they don't have it, it's just not nearly as readily available as the other. It's a good product, but it's no better than Mobile One. Okay. All, All right, right, man. Okay, Joe. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, All Carl. Right. Bye-bye. 291-6901 will get you right straight to us, and just in case you don't want to call in or run out of time or something occurred to you later in the week. That's right. You can always get your questions answered through our website, and the address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O. 
C-O-A-U-T-O. Easy way to remember that is take acronym, acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That will get you to our site. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the form and send it in, and Lewis will get it back to you within 24 hours. That's right, and that form couldn't be easier to use because when you've put in your name, and it doesn't ask for an address because I don't need your address to answer your question, but you put your name, your email address, you list that two times, the type of card that you have, and then you list your complaint. When you send it, it's going to ask you if you'd like to remember that information, and if you hit yes, next time you bring the form up, all that will already be filled in for you. That's it. So really, really cool. Couldn't be much easier than that. And if you have more than one car, you can actually add two, three, four, however many cars you got. It'll remember all of them. All you got to do is go through and pick the one you want. All it will be automatically filled out. Type in the complaint. And type in the complaint and send it in. Push the button and there you go. There you go. <laughs> you got your own little information resource. <laughs> We're going back to our phone lines with Charles. Good morning, Charles. Yes, I got a 2009 Dodge. Okay. And the ABS light has come on. Sometimes it goes out. Mm-hmm. When it goes out, I have problems with the brakes. What kind of problems do you have? Feels like it's on go down all the way. The pedal is the lower. The pedal gets low when the light goes out. Yes. And it's higher when the light is on. It's normal when it's on. How much lower is it than when it's off and when it's on? How much difference are we talking about? Uh, I'm not sure how much difference it is, but okay. Well, that's what you need to know because if it's two inches, that's a problem. If it's a quarter to a half an inch, that's probably normal because ABS eats up some brake pedal. When the ABS is working, then your pedal is going to be slightly lower than when it's not working. And when that light is on, the system is deactivated. So that may not be a problem at all. You need to find that out. Now, if it's dropping two inches, then obviously that's something else going on. But to find out what's wrong with the ABS, it's going to have a code stored, much like a check engine light. It's just not in the power control module. It's right. stored in the chassis module. It's not accessible by those uh, right. auto parts You've got to have checkers. like a Dodge scan tool or equivalent, and you go into the chassis module and you can bring up the code and it'll tell you what it is most of the time on the dodges we see the wheel speed sensors go out in them and what they do they read improperly and it may not always come on under certain conditions it may read okay or it may not be checking or whatever it has to malfunction while it's checking to flag the light but when it flags the light it shuts the system down which may make the pedal get a little bit higher it wouldn't be a huge amount higher but it will get higher that light needs to be treated just like a check engine light it does not tell you Go change this part. It right. tells you this problem is in this area. Well, it could so say... it gives you somewhere to start Yeah, it at. could say left rear wheel speed sensor, but it doesn't mean the sensor's bad. It could be the wire's unplugged. It could be a rat Wire. got in there and chewed the wire in half. It could be right. the tone wheel is rusted up. I mean, it could be on it could and be on a, and on, right. lots of things, so it still has it, to be diagnosed. It but, gives you an area to start in. Yeah, but that was going to clear that problem up, and there is a difference in pedal feel between an ABS car and a non-ABS car because the mechanisms in the ABS system eat up some of the pedal feel, so... The pedal will be slightly lower when ABS is in activation. And we're just totally out of time. I hope that answered your question fully. If not, you can just send Lewis an email and he'll get you a little better answer. That's right. All right. And we want to tell everybody how much we appreciate him listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. That's right. We really appreciate it when you do that because it helps us move up in the ratings. also kind of makes our day when I go through and read those readings. Yep. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.